the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. We will read chapter 1 together. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If, indeed, you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him 
admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this person, pardon, for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Jesus, what do you think about him? We have spent several weeks now thanks, considering, anticipating, preparing for this season, the holiday that is before us. This morning I want us to ask the question, what about him? Do we believe what the scriptures say about him? We just read in Colossians that he is the image of the invisible God, that he's the firstborn of all creation, that by him all things were created, and all things have been created through him and for him. We read that he is before all things, that in him all things hold together, that he's the head of the church, he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that he will have first place in everything. There are remarkable attributes ascribed to Jesus in this brief passage in Colossians chapter 1. According to God, who breathed out these words, these scriptures, Jesus is everything, and nothing else compares to him. No one, no thing. It is all about him. Everything is about him. His honor, his fame, his reputation, his glory. However, when we pick our heads up from the text and we gaze around in the world in which we live, we do not have to look very far or wide to see an apparent contradiction between what this passage says and what seems and feels like reality. I mean, consider it with me for a moment. Do you see clear evidence of all things being created by Jesus to the degree that there's no question? Is there any evidence or is there overwhelming evidence that Christ is holding all things together by the word of his power. Or we can bring the questioning a little more personal. Is there overwhelming evidence that Jesus is the head of his church? I mean, when we look at the state of the church across our land or around the globe, there are a lot of ridiculous notions that suffice. For church? Or what if we just narrow it down to within these four walls? Or let's bring it a little closer to home still. Jesus will have first place in everything. Is that true for us? Is it really true in your list of priorities and commitments that he will have first place in everything? And narrowing still closer to the heart. What about you personally? Have you been reconciled to him? He came to save. He accomplished salvation. 
Has lasting peace been made between you and your Creator, who shed His blood to make reconciliation happen? We've set aside the past five weeks, including this morning, as a season of anticipation or Advent, looking forward to celebrating the coming of Jesus, the long-awaited arrival of the Messiah. We've looked at, over the past weeks, Mary's response to that news, the angel's announcement of that wonderful news, the shepherd's response of worship, how Joseph reacted, how Simeon and Anna responded. And as we come today, I want to consider four other characters and how they responded. Herod and the Magi. I shouldn't say four because actually there's no evidence that there were three wise men. So, I mean, we see sing songs like We Three Kings and there's no evidence that there were three of them, right? They just had three gifts. Maybe one, or I suppose it's two since it's plural. So maybe two gave three gifts or maybe there are 20 of them and they just gave three gifts among the 20. Either way, that's not in my notes. That's all free, so... Open with me to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and let's read. We we have been in Luke 1 and 2 over the past several weeks after looking at the promise from Isaiah 9, 6, but let's consider Matthew's version of the birth and see his emphasis and how we might benefit from Herod and the Magi. I'll begin reading in verse 18. We'll read through verse 2 of chapter 12. So Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to de- disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep And did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him, gathered to get, gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. 
After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Where is he? The Magi asked. These Magi were asking the right question. They are rightly referred to as wise men. They were wise, not in the world's estimation of wisdom, but they were wise with regard to truth. They were seeking to know what was true, what was real. And their wisdom is revealed in this only recorded statement from them. We don't have anything else recorded, only this. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Where is he? We saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. So, word has spread. We've seen that in the previous weeks with the different characters that we have considered how they were affected and impacted by the arrival of the Messiah, and word had continued to spread. Evidently, it has spread quite a ways out of Jerusalem now to the east where these Magi were from, and they're interested in seeing this king who has been born. They're interested in worshiping him and serving him. There's something that we can learn from them in this. Namely, those three words that are in that question, where is Jesus? We can turn it and ask it in a different way. What do you think about him? Does what we know to be true about him affect the questions that we ask and the choices that we make in the lives that we live? But asking the right question is the only way to find him and to worship him and to know him. We are prone often to stop short of asking the right question. We stop oftentimes with some obscure or secondary doctrine becoming enamored with the peripherals rather than with the Prince of Peace himself. We get sidetracked with some other different idea, different than him who was born King of the Jews. We focus on some new novel concept that we've never heard before and fail to ask, where is he who has been born King of the Jews? We may even be prone to adopt new language or different language, more religious language, while failing to ask, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? There are times when we're guilty of casting off one idol and we simply replace it with another, cleaner idol, but it's still not a seeking of Jesus. We're prone to being consumed with a false reality, a mirage, forsaking 
him who was born king of the Jews. He has been born king. He's not just king at this moment. I mean, consider this. It was even mentioned in the prayer time this morning. There was no royal announcement of this king. There's no pomp and circumstance surrounding his coming. There was no war between nations or earthly powers that resulted in him taking over. He was born king simply by divine decree by means of promises of old. He is king. A savior has been born. And he's born king. And the magi here in our text are absolutely confident of it. They are sure of it. Which is why they come wanting to find him. And it's not just curiosity that is guiding them. They're stating the motive. Why do they want to find him? Because we want to worship him, they said. They want to know him. They want to honor him. They want to serve him. So when Herod is... When the question is posed, Herod goes and gathers together, verse 4 of chapter 2, gathers together all the chief priests and scribes of the people. Now, these chief priests and scribes there in Jerusalem, they're much closer to this infant king than the Magi. They're in Jerusalem. They're much closer geographically. They're near to where he has been born. They're closer ethnically. These priests and scribes are Jews themselves. They're closer intellectually. They are experts in the Old Testament Scriptures. And they prove that with the answer. Talking about, making clear, they know where the promised Messiah was to be born. These chief priests and scribes whom Herod inquired of even help with the next step in the Magi's pursuit of finding this one who has been born King of the Jews. They point the Magi to Bethlehem. However, they themselves could not care less. The scribes and chief priests, they could not care less. In, in fact, by the end of the story, they have not moved an inch in the direction of Bethlehem or seeking this king who has been born. They remain completely passive. Imagine this. They're aware of the Old Testament promises They're aware of the reality of what has happened over the past several months and years with all the talk about this babe being born, the one who was promised about the virgin birth and how it came to be, the angels singing the song in the sky. They would have heard all of this. Zero interest. They remain completely passive. They have no intention of seeking out this king. Now, Herod, on the other hand, actually states that he is interested in knowing where he is so that he too may come and worship him. While he's not passive, he's active, but he's active not in actually pursuing worship, but seeking to destroy him. And the rest of the text there in Matthew 2 makes that abundantly clear. Now, seeing the scribes and chief priests and Herod and their response to news about this king who has been born. It's helpful for us to take note of how possible it is 
to know all of the Christmas stories, to even point others in the direction of Jesus, and yet not actually get there ourselves. The Magi were pointed to Jesus by apathetic religious leaders and a deceiving tyrant that said the right thing, even in a convincing manner. Imagine being one of the Magi, and Herod is part of your testimony. How'd you come to know Jesus? Herod inquired of some religious people and told us how to find him. It's possible to know all the stories, even to point others in the right direction, and yet not actually worship him with our lives. Now let's consider the Magi's question, where is he who has been born King of the Jews? A little bit closer. Broadening the scope and then focusing in as we walk through. Journeying together, really, throughout time and even eternity. We could begin in eternity past as if that were possible. But go back there in your mind and see the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Three persons, essentially one, enjoying perfect fellowship. Father, Son, and Spirit, experiencing unbroken unity. Father, Son, and Spirit, exuding immense glory as the triune God, existing in wonderful, unmatched harmony, exercising between one another divine delight, explaining in their very essence magnificent perfection, with incomparable contentment, lacking nothing. Father, Son, and Spirit, lacking nothing at all. We can't fathom it. It's really hard to imagine we take by faith the Scripture's word on it. But if we were able to somehow put ourselves in that kind of situation, having that kind of fellowship and unity and glory and harmony and delight and perfection and contentment and having it constantly all the time without ceasing no waxing or waning in it even what would result in you as you experienced all of those things you would be bursting I would be bursting at the seams to share it to talk about it, to display it, to let others know about it. You would be bursting at the seams to make it known to everyone that you love. Which is exactly what God did in creation. He put his magnificence on display for all to see. Speaking the world into existence and sustaining it by the word of his power. He didn't create out of some need in order to fill a void or to improve upon some deficiency that he had, but out of 
overflow as a result of the immeasurable abundance within himself. He created a vast world in order that we might know him. He created it to reveal himself to us. For by him, we read it in Colossians 1.16 earlier, for by Christ all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Everything. Or John 1.3, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. I typically don't refer to things going on in the culture that wouldn't, everyone wouldn't be aware of in order to, to, as an illustration. But I noticed last night in looking through the news, news for me is primarily sports news, so that the internet, the religious people on social media were all riled up because the quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers, who had led them to a victory, said, first thing out of his mouth in the post-game interview was, I want to give thanks to my creator, Jesus Christ. And all the religious people were like, oh, what a terrible statement. You were created by God, not by Jesus. Actually, he's a better theologian than most of those internet wackos. All things were created through Christ. Without Christ was not anything made that was made. It is. It was Christ who has created all things. That's clear in John 1. It's clear in Colossians 1. So at creation, where was Christ? He was there, speaking it all into existence. Still pre-incarnate. What about post-creation? What about those scores of centuries between the creation of the world, and the birth of our Lord. Let's ask the Magi's question, where is he? 1 Corinthians 15, 4, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. He's at the rock at Horeb. Or the ark in Noah's day. He was the ark for the saving of Noah and his household. Or... Exodus 13, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day, and by night the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Where is he? In the cloud and in the fire. Or again, Genesis 11, the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they all have one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, God says, and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there all over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city or wrestling with Jacob. I've seen God face to face, Jacob says, and yet my life has been delivered. So where was Jesus? in what is to us the pages of our Old Testament. He was present among his people, saving them in the ark, hearing them 
And Jacob's wrestling all night with him in prayer, leading them cloud by day and fire by night, supplying their needs, water from the rock, manna from heaven, disciplining them at the Tower of Babel. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Here's an easier one. Where was he? At the beginning of our New Testament. At the incarnation, when this question was originally asked, the answer is fairly simple. He was in Bethlehem. But think about the magnitude of the Lord of all the earth, the creator of the universe, the eternal second person of the Trinity being in Bethlehem. From eternal heavenly bliss to Bethlehem's barn or the dusty, dirty streets of Nazareth. There's no comparison like this. From infinite glory to a feed trough, from being enveloped by angels to surrounded by filthy animals, from the ruler of all to dependent on all for his everything, from the giver of the divine law to being placed under all of that law's effects, from wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace, to helpless infant, this father of time, days old. But he didn't remain a babe. He grew, and day after day, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? He's rising in the morning, submitting to his father, doing his father's good pleasure, obeying him perfectly, obeying him in every respect, pleasing him in all things, pouring out his life for ours. Emptying himself is the way the apostle writes to the church at Philippi. Emptying himself, being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. From highest of heaven to the manger at Bethlehem to the cross at Calvary. This one who had been crowned with glory and splendor and majesty is now crowned with thorns. This one who had been robed with honor for all time is now robed with his own blood. This one who had only known being esteemed by everyone is beaten and rejected by all on the earth. Even the inner circle in heaven, they bowed to him and worshiped him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. But the inner circle, think about those 12, betrayed with a kiss, deserted by 11, denied by Peter. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Well, at this point in his life, he's there, hanging on the cross at Calvary. The sign says it above him, Jesus, the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. A mocking attempt that is massively true. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? He's there. 
Having been delivered over by the plan of God, he was nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men like you and like me. And they put him to death. But he didn't stay there either. Acts 2, 23 and following, God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him, Christ, to be held in its power. And having been raised from the dead, he appeared to 500 over the next 40 days. And we travel from Golgotha to another mountain called Olivet, and here the mission of Jesus' life becomes our mission when he commands us to continue what he had been doing during his earthly life, pouring himself out as a drink offering for others. His mission becomes our mission. Jesus didn't just sit in the heavens and send help, but he came to our rescue. And he tells us here, after having lived and died and being raised again, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you. How so? Or you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after Jesus said these things, he was lifted up. While they're still looking on, the scriptures tell us, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Well, where did he go? Psalm 68, we read it earlier. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Or Acts 2 explains it as well, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God. Where did he go? There, to the right hand of God. And having received from the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. The promise that he made on the mountain before his ascension is coming to fruition. So where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Where is he now? In heaven. Of course. Such a simple answer. But the implications of this reality. Where is he? At the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? He's at the right hand of the Father as our mediator. He's our advocate, pleading our cause with the Father. It's his blood that's there on the mercy seat. And it's not cold, old, coagulated blood, but fresh and real and sufficient, providing us constant, ongoing access. He's our anchor within the veil, the veil that has been rent now because it was his flesh for our own access. The hymn writer said it wonderfully, majestic sweetness sits enthroned upon the Savior's brow, his head with radiant glories crowned, his lips with grace o'erflow. It is wonderful, it is glorious to say that he's there, that he's seated, that he's our mediator and advocate, that his blood was shed for us, that he's our anchor, that the veil of his flesh has been rent for our access. And he's not just there, he promised to be with us. 
That's wonderful too, that He's with us in the person and power of His Spirit, that we might accomplish His purposes. But there's something even better than that. It is even more wonderful and glorious that He's coming again. When He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, 2 Thessalonians 1.10, that day when we'll join in that new song being sung around the throne of the Lamb in Revelation 5, Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. He came and he is coming again. He's coming to save finally and ultimately. Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? Where is he? Or better yet, where are you with him? Where is he in your life? On the back burner? Low down on the priority list? Marginalized? God says he came to rule over all. Is he reigning in your life? Is he reigning supreme in every aspect? All your choices who you are and what you do and how you do. Where are you with him? Every person, since Adam and Eve chose to sin in the garden, every human has been born, fallen in sin. Are you still there? Are you still in your sin, or do you know the Savior? Do you know the knowledge of sins forgiven? This Christ came to save, to save sinners like you and like me. Where are you with Him? Are you obeying Him? Are you communing with Him? Are you proclaiming Him with your life? Consider the Magi and their response, as opposed to Herod and his response here in the story. What did the Magi say? We've come to worship him. What did Herod say? I too want to worship him. There's not a lot of difference in what they're saying. Or the Magi, they gave in worship. When they found him, they presented him with gifts. They worshiped him. What did Herod do when he found out where he might be? He issued an edict of murder for all of the young male infants. The Magi, they had a desire to worship. Herod's desire was exactly contradictory to what he said. He said, I want to worship. His desire was to destroy this one who had been born king. In Herod's mind, he was the king. There would be no other king. The Magi were active in their pursuit of Christ. We've seen his star in the east. We've come to worship him. Where is he, they said. They were active in their pursuit. They're pointed to Bethlehem. They go to Bethlehem. They find him there. Herod is passive. Herod heard from the chief priests and the scribes whom he inquired of where the infant king was. He could have easily made his way. He could have probably joined the Magi. He didn't do it. He sat back. You find him. 
When you find him, come tell me where he is. Don't be passive in your pursuit of this king. The intent of the hearts of the Magi and Herod are drastically different, though their words are identical. So what about you? Are you really seeking Christ to know him and to worship him? Or, like Herod, are you secretly seeking to find out how to usurp his rights, dethrone him in your own life? We learn from, as I mentioned earlier, the scribes and chief priests, that there are people who can tell you a lot about Jesus who have no real appetite for truly worshiping him as their savior and king. Let's not be those kind of people. Let's be people who ask the right question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And let's do everything in our power to seek him out and to worship him with our whole lives. Why not trust him? Why not worship him who came into the world to save sinners? This risen, reigning, and soon returning Lord and Savior, why not give your all in all to him and worship him with your life? So let's ask the right questions. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And let's do what's necessary to find our way to him, to worship him, the one who lived and died in order that we might be saved in order that we might have our sins forgiven, in order that we might know God as our heavenly Father, both now and forever. Turn from your sins. Repent of your sin and trust in Jesus wholeheartedly. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for sending Christ to be our Savior. God, we thank you that there's none like him, that he's worthy of worship, and we confess that we are too often distracted and enamored by the things of this world, and we fail to worship you as we ought. God, help us by your grace. God, reveal more of your glory to us that we might be affected to the degree that we give our all to seeking after you, knowing you, communing with you, living for you, obeying you, and proclaiming the glad tidings that Jesus came to save sinners to the world around us, not just with our mouths, but with our choices and with our lives. God, you deserve worship both now and forever. We pray that you'll help us to do that as individuals and as a church and that we might promote your worship throughout our community and region and around the globe. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.